Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, listener mail. This is Robert Lamb. And this is Joe McCormick, and we're bringing you some of the messages you've sent in over the past couple of weeks. Uh, Rob, if you don't mind, I'm going to kick off with a response to the Furry Fish episode. Oh, go for it. Yeah, so this comes from Yanni, and this is one of those emails where it's clearly responding to something specific that we said, and I don't remember what it was. Which makes for some of the most fun listener mail because you have to play a little sort of uh, internal uh, past memory detective work. Mm -hmm. But Yanni says, hi, Robert and Joe, or is it Joel? No, it is Joe. Uh, I'm Yanni, and I'm sending you my greetings from Finland. Love your podcast. I was just listening to the Fish Head Fur episode, and I had to check. There really is a Christmas edition of Big Mouth Billy Bass. There are also videos of it on YouTube. Peace, Linux, and love, Yanni. Uh, so I assume you must be a, a, a developer of some kind if you have that much Linux passion. But but uh, So I looked this up. You're correct, Yanni. Uh, we, I think in the episode we were talking about what were the different songs that Big Mouth Billy Bass sings. Uh, so there was Take Me to the River. There's the one that sings YMCA. I think uh, I may have mentioned that the one that sings YMCA, I remember, is in a uh, Sopranos episode. It's like a Christmas episode. I think Tony gets <laughs> it as a Christmas gift. So maybe that's what leads to this. But there are indeed Big Mouth Billy Basses that's in Christmas songs and they're not just Christmas songs. They're like novelty hayseed country versions of Christmas songs. So it's got a <laughs> dash in through the snow kind of thing. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, it particularly egregiously annoying. And uh, I don't know why they did it that way. Why not with just some regular recording of the song beats me. Well, if there's anything that could make Jingle Bells more annoying, it's uh, having uh, Big Mouth Billy Bass sing it, <laughs> I imagine. And I say that as someone who, who greatly enjoys many holiday songs. Uh, but, oh, uh, yeah. Well, Jingle Bells is just the worst. Rob, I am right there with you. I, I don't hate Christmas music. I, I love a great many uh, Christmas songs, but th there are a few that are just, ooh, they're just razor blades going under my eyelids. It's just awful. Yeah, I, I'm partial like, to one of them. God Bless You, Merry Gentlemen, because it has the devil in it. Um, <laughs> which I guess, uh, you know, brings us back in season here because we, we don't want to get too far ahead with the holiday stuff because uh, this, this listener mail is coming out during uh, the height of the Halloween season. You know, one of the Christmas uh, carols that I really like, I, I, I think I tend towards the ones that are in more of a minor key and have kind yeah. of a note of uncertainty. And that'll tie into our very next message of, for example, one that came to mind is, uh, you know, I love, uh, I love green sleeves. It starts with that, oh, that yeah. minor third. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Green sleeves is great. Or I guess the Christmas version with the, the lyrics is what child is that? Or what child is, is it? Yeah. What child is this? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's it. Uh, but that should lead right into some responses to the episode that I did on spooky music and uncanny melodies with the uh, with special guest, uh, our producer Seth. All right, I'll read this one from Matt. I really enjoyed the episode on scary music and the characteristics thereof. The major and minor discussion was particularly interesting in that I thought immediately of Celtic Gaelic music. Hmm. I play a lot of old Irish and Scottish tunes with my brother and friends and have always loved the interplay between minor and major keys in reels, jigs, etc. 
The quick switches are both fun to uh, accompany and make things more musically interesting. Always thought it was a unique example of both minors and majors inspiring good feelings rather than apprehension, as is usually the case with the former. Huge Black Sabbath fan, I must admit. Uh, Also, get the same sorts of impressions from a lot of Middle Eastern music, which is pretty cool. It's one of the reasons I gravitated to such uh, genres early in my amateur music career. Thanks for the show, and happy Canadian Thanksgiving, Matt. Wait, is Canadian Thanksgiving in October? Yes, it is. It is the second Monday in October. So, yeah, here we are. Matt, I think I know what you're talking about with the, uh, the, the alternations between major and minor keys in like the... Uh, what do you call them? Oh, well, by the way, that, that, uh, Scotch and, and Irish music really also does have like some of the best names for things, reels and jigs that almost mm-hmm. doesn't sound like music. It sounds like stuff you'd use to like kill a fish to kill a fish. <laughs> Maybe I just got Billy Bass on the mind. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so this next uh, this next message comes from Dan, also about the music episode. Dan says, I just finished listening to your episode on scary music and have an album recommendation for Rusty Needles Record Club. This is Seth's new podcast, and uh, Seth and I talked about uh, me possibly going on there to talk about Neil Young. Uh, Dan says, uh, when we get into discussing the stranger records in Neil Young's discography, and what Dan recommends is his album Trans from 1982. Mm. It is his Kraftwerk-inspired album and features a lot of vocoder and synthesizer work. So maybe Robert could also contribute being as how he loves synth music. Are either of you familiar with this record? Computer Age, that's the name of the song, is a total bop. According to Young, part of the inspiration behind this album was as a way for him to communicate with his young son, who has cerebral palsy and was unable to speak. Apparently, this was lost on Geffen Records and the start of their infamous lawsuit against Neil Young for not making Neil Young albums. (laughs) And then there's a abrupt transition. Uh, also, being this is a Stuff to Blow Your Mind listener email, I have a suggestion for the role of Tom Bombadil. I would like to nominate Danny DeVito. Is he the right choice? <laughs> Maybe not. It's been a long time since I read Fellowship of the Ring. But the thought of Frank Reynolds in a Lord of the Rings adaptation is such a perversely amusing thought, I cannot resist imagining how that would play out. It's always sunny in Middle Earth. The gang steal the one ring. Thanks as always, Dan. Well, first of all, uh, sometimes I, I kind of speed read these uh, emails as they come in. And so I, I thought Dan's recommendation was ultimately that Neil Young play Tom Bombadil. And so <laughs> I've been thinking about that um, all morning. And I was, th- I was thinking to myself, you know, I could imagine that, you know. Uh, I, I often associate Neil Young, of course, with the harvest season. That's, mm-hmm. that's the time of year when I'm most likely to fire up uh, some, some of old Neil and, and listen to him. Um, so, um, I don't know what to think about Danny DeVito. I haven't had time to process that. I'm, I'm still on, on, uh, on Neil Young as Bombadil. I mean, we know Neil Young can sing. Other than that, I don't know if his, if his vibe is really on point. I mean, Neil, I, I, as I said on the uh, music episode, I'm a big fan of Neil Young, but he, he always comes off as kind of a weird old crank and not sort yeah. of the jolly carefree bard image we get of, of Tom Bombadil, but I don't know. Yeah. Also, I mean, Neil Young is someone who has always been... Uh, he, he's always been willing to to tackle, uh, you know, political issues uh, in his lyrics. And Bombadil is is you know largely cut off from the politics of the world. Uh, so yeah, it seems like they're completely opposite each other in that regard. 
but Bombadil is constitutionally incapable of engaging in politics. Like right. he, he's not even on the same plane as them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, oh, but also your mention of the Neil Young album, the, so, um, if you're not familiar, this album, uh, trans by Neil Young that came out in 1982, it is the classic example of the Neil album that even a lot of diehard Neil fans <laughs> make fun of and, and think, oh, okay, that's bad. And you know, when I was a younger Neil fan, I felt the same way. I mean, it does have some arguably very goofy production choices, but I've come around on it over the years. I think it is absolutely worth a second listen. And I really like the song that Dan singles out here, Computer Age. That's a good one. I The one that sticks with me the most is Sample and Hold. That one has mm-hmm. a good beat to it, and it very much has the the the, the, the synth the vibe and the, the robot voice. Um, yeah, to, to probably to the surprise of no one, I've always loved this album. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I heard this. This is one where my dad had some Neil Young, and I don't think he had the album Trans, but he had another album that, weirdly enough, had two of the songs off of this, plus some other material. I forget what it was called. Um, oh, yeah. So yeah. it was it was weird in that regard because it's just here's some robot songs and here's some more traditional stuff, and I was like the robot songs, but yeah, I probably heard those tracks way before I actually heard any craft work. Uh, so it was kind of an early uh, introduction to that world. That's a wonderful kind of inside out. You know, there's a moment in the song "Computer Age" where, it, like a lot of the songs on this album, it's hard to tell what the lyrics are, but. There's one part early on where it sounds like Neil is singing uh, the phrase, I stand for the signal. Hmm. And I think that might literally be about a crosswalk on the street, like the line right <laughs> before it is about cars or something. But it's mm-hmm. one of those great lyrics that you hear with a weirder secondary meaning that may not be intended. But either way, it gives me a shiver. I stand for the signal. It's like uh, it's like in Tron, like I fight for the users. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can I can see that connection. Oh, and also, yeah, Critics Be Damned. I like the electronic take on Mr. Soul. I I, I think some of the song concepts on this album might be much better received now with a just slightly different production approach. Uh, Like, I I think Computer Age could have a slightly more goth techno edge. I'm thinking about uh, production more like bands like The Knife Mm. and, uh, or I don't know if you call that a band, whatever you call that. Uh, And it, it might be considered a classic. Sibling duo. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, and one last thing that I thought is hilarious is that you can sometimes still hear Neil's Canadian accent through the vocoder. There's this song on there. It's one of the goofier ones. It's called Computer Cowboy. It has like horse hoof clip-clop sounds. <laughs> uh, but he's he's singing vocoder, and you can still hear it. it's Neil Young. Oh, wow. I don't remember that track in particular. Uh, yeah, I guess it's been a little while since I fired it up. I mainly remember, and I guess when I dip back into it, I tend to play sample and hold computer age, uh, maybe one other. Transformer Man got a beautiful Transformer re- Man is good. That's the other one. Yes. Yeah, that one got a, a beautiful uh low uh, low tech rendition on uh Neil's 1990s unplugged album. Oh, did it? Okay. I don't know if yeah. I've heard that. Well, anyway, th- that was an extremely strange digression, but uh <laughs> Uh well, no. It's an interesting album, and of course now with uh, with with digital and streaming, I mean it's widely available. Everyone can go out and, and have a have a taste of of this album. So I mean I don't, I don't want to oversell it again. I I could not deny that a lot of the production is is undeniably pretty goofy, but I still think there's some cool stuff in there.
Rob, you want to do this one about Hilda and the Lindworm? All right. This next one comes to us from Greg. Greg writes, I subject my four and a half year old to, quote, daddy's boring podcast on our regular commutes. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I, <laughs> I guess I'm cool with that, uh, knowing knowing the kind of things kids are into. Um, yeah, maybe our, our podcast is a little bit boring uh, to, to the younger listeners, but that's okay. Either, you know, perhaps they'll age into it. <laughs> Anyway, uh, Greg continues, his opinion of your podcast may be changing as he was ecstatic to hear Hilda and the Lindworm referenced in the latest artifact segment. Uh, At this point, this would be an artifact slash monster fact segment from a couple of weeks back. Uh, He continues, like Robert's son, he was familiar with the Lindworm from our repeated viewings of Hilda. We got to discussing how he thinks you could improve the podcast. His suggestions are, number one, more Hilda content. Number two, space sound effects. Okay. Uh, in fact, Seth, can we go ahead and have a little space sound effect just to just just to, to help out the the listenership? Okay. And train sound effects for the episodes about trains. Uh, hold on, <laughs> Seth. No train sound effects yet because we we need to we need to line up a train episode. But I could I would be into that doing something related to trains or subways. I'm, I'm I live next to a train track and I'm fascinated by trains. I love trains, and I think uh, I think we may well have even a creepy train related episode oh, coming up this right, very month. That's right, we do. Okay, all right. Well, uh, it's a possibility. No promises, but I, a strong possibility. Okay, that one will probably not be good for kids, though. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, we'll have to do some train content in the future. Anyway, Greg continues. Hilda for the Uninitiated is a children's Netflix program that is based on the graphic novel series by Luke Pearson. It frequently features mythological creatures from around the world in stories with animation that appears to be influenced in small part by Calvin and Hobbes. You have my full support in doing a lengthier deep dive into the mythological creatures as as referenced in Hilda. It might make for a fun twist on your anthology shows, but please, no train sound effects, Greg. What is this conflicting advice? I don't know what to do with that. Well, I don't think there are any trains in uh, in Hilda. Uh, I don't remember there being one. Uh, but anyway, uh, at any rate, uh, Hilda is indeed a fabulous show. Um, I haven't seen a, it. It's a kid's show, but it's one of these great kid's shows that you don't need to be watching it with a kid to enjoy it. It's it's adorable and cute, but not in a, a sickening way. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's very sweet, and it has all of these various mythological creatures pop up. Uh, you'll be delighted to know that the Yule Lads uh, pop up <gasps> in one episode. Oh, Spoon Licker and, and what, Goat Clod Sucker or something? Yeah, I forget what, what names they're given, but I believe Andy Circus is in that one playing the voice of one of the Yule children, so it's pretty oh, great. That's too good. Sausage uh, Swiper, I think, is one. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Meat but, Hook. I highly recommend uh, uh, Hilda. It's it's a wonderful show. Uh, Just absolutely wonderful. All right. uh, I guess we're going to look at a couple of messages regarding Weird House Cinema. This first one comes from Matt. Matt says, Good day, fellas. The episode on The Thing from Another World was pretty neat. I'm definitely going to try to give it a watch. Couldn't help but immediately consider some plot parallels with H.P. Lovecraft's At the Mountains of Madness both set in an arctic waste, both with some variation on a vegetable-based or partially vegetable-based species from beyond, and to a degree the marauding mindlessness of the Shogoth seems to fit the uncaring approach of the movie monster. I can only assume some inspiration was taken from old Howard. 
to reference what I think is, in this context, an ironic quote from the story, quote, Poor old ones, scientists to the last, what had they done that we would not have done in their place? Being scientists themselves, I think the old ones would have very much enjoyed your shows. Thanks again, and all the best, Matt. Well, that's nice, Matt. I don't think the old ones would have liked our show very much. No, but, I don't think so at all. I don't know. They, they might not have even been able to listen to it. I don't know. Um, it yeah. would just be incomprehensible squealing to them, and then they would <laughs> devour us, right? Eat yeah. our souls. And they would have their own podcast, which to our ears would be incomprehensible squealing and the piping of mad flutes and so forth. Um, <laughs> I think I've seen somebody somewhere make some connections between the, uh, the thing, at least Carpenter's The Thing, and... Uh, and uh, Lovecraft's at the Mountains of Madness. But I, for the life of me, I can't remember what those connections were other than the obvious. You know, they have a frosty setting, some Something sort of amorphous being. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Guillermo del Toro was, was going to do an At the Mountains of Madness adaptation. Uh, that was like his pet project. But it was, uh, as I, if I remember correctly, like it, it was going to cost a lot of money. And it was one of these films that was only going to get made if Tom Cruise was on board. And Tom Cruise was apparently <laughs> on board. And there was, but what, but it was like, they still couldn't get it made for some reason. So it, it just didn't Tom happen. Cruise, what? Well, I mean, it, it makes sense, right? If you're, if you're going to have a soup, a monster movie, just that's so expensive. <laughs> like you've mm-hmm. got to have somebody like, like Cruise in it, or, you know, you've got to have a, a total, uh, you know, sure shot A-lister at the helm. And then you can have all the monsters you want. I, I, I'd go with The Rock, you know? The Rock, yeah. I mean, that would seem... That would seem to be a, a, a strong choice. You know, if, if you get The Rock on there, uh, then who's going to mess with you? It's, it, they'll let you have all the monsters you want. But I'm probably oversimplifying things. I, I know The Rock has been attached to, to projects that have yet to come to fruition. So uh, who knows how Hollywood works? Or, or by connection, how about Vin Diesel? There you go. Vin Diesel at the Mountains of Madness. <laughs> <laughs> as long as it doesn't, uh, is it, good, it wouldn't endanger our next Riddick movie, would it? Uh, it can't. It can't possibly. <laughs> Okay, we got one more Bombadil contribution. At some point, I think we we must just have to stop reading these because otherwise <laughs> they will just keep coming in forever. But this one was too good to skip over. I thought this okay. was truly inspired choice. Rob, do you want to read this oh, or should I? Oh, yeah, I'll get it. Uh, this is from Nick. Subject line, Bombadil. Uh, quote, is this bit still going? I thought I'd add my suggestion before a halt is called to all Bombadil dreamcasting. When I visualize Tom Bombadil, I can picture no other than Kevin Murphy. Uh, For many years, the voice of Tom Servo on Mystery Science Theater 3000. You might also remember him from the Roman Times interstitial sketches where he played a foghorn-voiced Miles Glorious type. What? I'm not sure what he's referring to. Oh, no, this was the Roman Times on Mystery Science Theater 3000. Oh, yeah, That's right. Miles Gloriosus. Miles Gloriosus. There you go. Miles Gloriosus type. Okay. He had all the qualities of Tolkien's Merry Fellow, an, uh, or, an orotund and booming voice, a jovial demeanor, a hefty frame, and a twinkle in his eye, as well as a penchant for constantly breaking out into song in response to nothing in particular. Really, he's the most bombadilly person I know. This is perfect. I feel like this can't be beat. I, as soon as I saw this, I was like, oh my God, it's right. Kevin Murphy is Tom Bombadil. He's got ev- he hits every single note. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think he does. Plus, he, I've, I've seen episodes of MST where he breaks into a Tom Bombadil impersonation, like he's singing uh, you know, Tom Bombadillo and all that. So, oh, really? Uh, yeah, that might be I don't in remember that. Jack Frost. That might be in the Jack Frost rip that he does that a bit. Okay. So, yeah, he's, he is slash was perfect for this role. 
if Jackson wasn't going to cast him, uh, then it's just as well that we didn't get it, you know? Hey, doll, Mary doll. I cannot disagree. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and uh, close the hatch on this particular listener mail, but we'll be back next Monday. So keep them coming. In the meantime, uh, what else goes on during the week? Well, we have our Tuesday and Thursday core episodes. We have Artifact, or for the uh, at least the rest of the month of October, Monster Fact. But who knows? Maybe Monster Fact will return in December, and we'll do some uh, some Christmas creatures. Uh, <laughs> we have uh, Weird House Cinema on Fridays. That's our chance to talk about a weird movie of choice. And then on the weekends, we run a Vault episode, which is uh, a rerun from the previous year. Huge thanks, as always, to our wonderful audio producer, Seth Nicholas johnson if you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other to suggest a topic for the future or just to say hello you can email us at contact at stuff to blow your mind.com stuff to blow your mind is a production of iHeartRadio. for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, radio visit the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows